politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots, forgotten American taxpayers and non-criminal, non-illegal alien Americans who do not get sex change operations and castration surgeries, but nonetheless pay your taxes, abide by the laws, and actually want a government of buying for the people. This is your one and only independent conservative show that is willing to discuss the issues others are not willing to discuss, the stories others are not willing to highlight, and the policies others are not willing to promote or even talk about. Um, just want to put one note on before we start any of our discussion, any of our analysis. There is one person who is actually standing for the forgotten American. And by now, many of you know, even those who haven't been with us the last number of years on iTunes, Stitcher, those of you who started watching this show as we went to YouTube just a couple of weeks ago with the video component. And by the way, you got to subscribe to our conservative review YouTube channel. You will note that we are pretty much the only ones out there standing for victims of crime, victims of legal immigration. The Americans who don't want to be subsidized, who don't want handouts, but don't want to be forced to subsidize others and certainly foreign nationals, don't want to be regulated, don't want go government to take away your pain medication while government lets drug traffickers of the stuff that's really killing people, the fentanyl, heroin, meth, and cocaine out of prison, promoting the cartels and open borders. So we're the only ones really discussing this, but there has been a longtime advocate for the forgotten citizen, and that is Michelle Malkin. Michelle Malkin came out with a new book called Open Borders, Inc., we're going to be having her on this program sometime within the next week or two to, to discuss that book. But we're going to put up on the screen here, Michelle tweeted out an idea I've been working with her on, and I'm really glad that she just takes it and runs with it. She is an actor. She acts. She doesn't just talk. Um, she is going to hold a series of Stand With Ice rallies across the nation, really to highlight this problem of you know just the forgotten american victim of crime the forgotten law enforcement the other side to this story the good work ice is doing but is not allowed to do more of the millions of forget about run-of-the-mill illegal aliens but criminal aliens sex offenders drunk drivers murderers child molesters that are allowed to remain in this country because we do not enforce our laws and how much good work they do, um, but instead they get treated like Nazis. There's so much violence in a lot of these cities where she is going to um, hold rallies on behalf of ICE for, and we still to this day don't even know the details of that person who attempted to kill ICE agents in, in the third or fourth attack on ICE. This was at the San Antonio ICE office a couple of weeks ago. So this is certainly an important time to stand with ICE, and you can see the dates and times to join Michelle. Let's show the political class that there are actually forgotten Americans. Now, speaking of the ultimate forgotten American, some of you have seen my Twitter account at RM Conservative. You see I've been tweeting this all night, and I'm kind of tired because I've been working on some of these stories all night. 
and I uh, shouldn't say all night, but went to sleep way too late. <laughs> My wife didn't appreciate it. And I just I got so drawn into this because it bothers me that nobody is highlighting the stories of victims of crime. But if you put everything together, 30,000 foot view, here is what our government, political class and media class is doing to us. They're leaving our borders open to the most brutal cartels, bringing in terrible gang members, previously deported criminals. And I, I don't even want to call it drugs. It's chemical warfare with the fentanyl-laced heroin, fentanyl-laced meth, fentanyl-laced cocaine, and all sorts of counterfeit pills with fentanyl in them, killing tens of thousands of people. They go and have sanctuary cities and all sorts of judicial amnesty, ensuring that we cannot bust up the criminal alien and transnational gang networks distributing these drugs, which makes which would otherwise drive up the price and make it prohibitive for, for young people to purchase them. Instead, we allow them to remain in the country. Then we have criminal justice reform and the jailbreak agenda, which is maniacally letting out drug traffickers for the cartels or not sentencing them to begin with so they can go in and, and uh, kill more Americans. Then these very same people turn around and regulate the heck out of pain medication under the guise of an opioid crisis, when it's not an opioid crisis, it's a polydrug crisis, which is largely driven now by meth and cocaine, which is really a psychostimulant, the opposite of an opioid. So now they're going after Johnson & Johnson, a stupid judge in Oklahoma, blaming them for the, the drug crisis. How, how a judge could even do that is beyond me. And believe me, I'm no fan of the healthcare cartel. I've said that a number of times, but it's like taking a patient who has a brain tumor and diagnosing them with a toe problem, amputating their toe and ignoring the tumor and thereby creating a double problem where you create a new problem and then you don't solve the existing one and in fact, you exacerbate it. That's what they're doing right now to pain patients. As you well know, I've done a series of articles last year on this showing how all of the deaths have been from illicit drugs. Pain medi medication has been choked off. And now they go after Johnson & Johnson, which is going to drive up the cost of medication on law-abiding, chronic, stable pain patients while we let drug traffickers out of jail, don't deport the networks. Many of them are criminal alien networks. And we go ahead and continue to refuse to confront the cartels at the border. So we don't raise the cost of illicit drugs. We lower the cost of illicit drugs, raise the cost of prescription drugs. Similarly, as we've talked about many times the past couple of weeks, we are letting gun felons, violent gun felons out of jail, under sentencing, never sentencing them, while infringing upon the law-abiding right to own a gun, carry a gun, of peaceful Americans. Same thing with drugs. Go after the pain meds, let out the drug traffickers. Go after constitutional right, constitutional carry, go after the weapon, let out the gun felons. 
That is what government is doing. If you juxtapose our immigration policy, our border policy, sanctuaries, our drug policies, gun policies, and criminal justice policies, all in one. That's kind of a four-minute summation of what our government is doing. You could not possibly conjure up a more backwards policy than all of those juxtaposed together. It is unbelievable. And you know the amazing thing here? Just wanted to say here, um, Oklahoma, where they're blaming J&J for, oh, the opioid crisis. Just, just last week, you'll see here on the screen, look at all the names of the latest major indictment for drug trafficking of heroin in Oklahoma. You'll notice most of the names are Hispanic. Now, it's not to say that Hispanics are more into drug trafficking. It's just that what that tells you is it's coming from the cartels, which most of them are going to be Hispanic sounding names. It's a cartel driven issue in Oklahoma. And this is the thing. We could stop this tomorrow. I'm not. I said this before. I'm not advocating an expensive war on drugs. I'm advocating that we do what any country would do to protect its sovereignty from illegal immigration, national security threats at the border to counter the cartels. And guess what? You won't have them pouring in these drugs. You'll always get, I understand you'll get drugs to a certain extent. I'm not asking to solve the problem. I'm asking to go back to the pre-2014 levels before this insane degree of lethal drugs that we've never had before. And those things are not natural in the country, like your 1960s marijuana. It's poisoning people. They're, people don't even realize it's in there. The counterfeit pills, the lacing of the stuff. It's chemical warfare. It would be the equivalent for guns, not just talking about handguns. You know, we always say that a war on guns will never work. But why? Because they're natural in the marketplace. But machine guns aren't. Or it would be the equivalent of having guns that were manufactured in a way that when you shoot it, the bullet would come out the backside and kill the person. You need to go after the source of who's doing it, not the item. Yet, this Udum Dillum, the acting DA director, we don't even have a full confirmed one, I hear from my sources that he is one of the people adamantly telling Donald Trump not to designate the cartels as terrorists. This guy is a lawyer. He was a White House lawyer. He never served at DEA. Why this guy is, is DA director, I don't know. DA administrator, whatever he's called. But um, it's unbelievable. A lawyer, typical lawyer Teletubby mentality. Um, just awful. Awful. Cutting off pain medication in order to protect the cartels. Because if you had to speak the truth about the source and nature of the drug crisis, not an opioid crisis, not an opioid crisis, it's an illicit poly drug crisis, many of which are not even opioids. The fastest growing problem is meth and cocaine. 100% coming from the cartels. And not just coming from the cartels, it's one thing to get the drugs in the country, but you need a distribution network, a network to bring back the profits, a network, depending on the type of drug, to produce it and mix it. If you would have not drug enforcement, immigration enforcement, you don't even have to land a conviction. You don't have to have probable cause. You're here. You're an illegal. You're out. 
come back to me about what our drug crisis would look like. But if we would tell the truth, it would implicate the open borders agenda and it would implicate criminal justice reform. You will not hear this point made anywhere else. The same people who want to go after Johnson & Johnson, cut off pain medications, harm veterans, chronic stable pain patients who never would or never have abused drugs. It's a different demographic altogether than the ones abusing heroin. These same people are letting out drug traffickers. The same people that want to go after guns and push gun control are letting go violent felons, violent gun felons, violent felons who now are caught possessing a gun illegally and they don't prosecute them. Nobody calls them out for it. But that's our government. That is our government. That's our government there for you. Pain patients, veterans, victims of crime, victims of illegal immigration. We don't matter. We just don't matter. Man, is this is this really hosing me? And I know I'm just in a bad mood today to start off. I'm sorry about it. But I want to talk about victims of crime here. And we're going we're gonna to try to have more victims of crime on this program. And let me know if any of you fit in that category. You know people who I should have on that have stories. Every single drug trafficker in federal prison, they now have an advocate in Jared, Ivanka, Kim Kardashian, Van Jones, even the president himself now. The entire weight of both political parties' apparatus, the entire weight of the corporate world is into criminal justice reform. The entire weight of every single Coke-funded conservative think tank, much less the Soros-funded left. But name me one advocate for the millions of victims of crime who are brutalized because government, while it does everything to tamper with healthcare and pain medications and regulate us into oblivion, will not do its one job, which is to keep us safe from criminals. External illegal aliens at a federal level, domestic crime at a, at, a, at a local level, state government level. Who's speaking for these people? I want to talk today about the Richardson couple. James and Melanie Richardson. Now, kudos to uh, a local Seattle news station, KIRO7 News, for doing a story on this yesterday, which is the only reason why I know about it. Um, this happened a couple of years ago, but the victims are now suing, and that was the news from yesterday. But I felt because of that, it's important to talk about this because, friends, this should be the poster child of true criminal justice reform. This is the pervasive case that's happening everywhere in this country that nobody wants to talk about. Instead of all, oh, there's too many criminals over sentence, which is bullcrap. So, three years ago, almost to the day, August 24th, 2016, James and Melanie Richardson were enjoying a day in Seattle, planning on attending a Mariners baseball game, and they were killing time until the game started, and they were just walking around. They were accosted suddenly by this crazy-looking guy with a bat and the guy gets a hold of them and just beats the two of them almost to death. Um, 
wasn't a gun. It was a bat. And James had to have a bunch of reconstructed surgeries on his jaw, a bunch of rehab. Melanie had internal bleeding. Years worth of doctor bills. I mean, you cannot imagine going through that. That, that's, That's pretty nasty. Well, it turns out this guy is a poster child of what we talk about. And I'm not talking about this because it's a funny, a unique case. I'm talking about this because this happens every day, and there are thousands of people like this in the system. So the guy's name, Nail Mulazim Muyed. It's like an Indonesian name or something. I don't, I don't, I don't know, something like that. I don't know if he's an immigrant. I'm assuming for now he's a citizen until I hear back from my contacts. Otherwise, that will be a whole other story. But let's just treat this as an American citizen until now, where there was no opportunity to deport the guy. This man had a 25-year rap sheet, according to KRIRO. Now, I only saw 19 years worth from my research of the court and arrest records last night in King County. And, And King County, Seattle is a cesspool. So to be fair, they're not just letting go criminal aliens they're letting go all criminals assuming this guy's not an alien but anyway this guy had by my count and this this is just 19 years not 26 years because they they must have gotten his juvenile record which i couldn't get 72 criminal charges most of them felonies most of them resulted in convictions he was actually convicted to my knowledge In those 20 years, he was never sentenced to anything more than 365 days. And I can't tell 100%, but it appears that he served nothing close to a year back then, like like a decade ago. He had, it was endless harassment, assault, theft, trespassing. Driving violations, certainly. Drugs, certainly. Assault with a deadly weapon. And this man was just out just that year in 2016. Just that year, July 22nd, 32 days before he was charged with assault. So this habitual, he was out after a couple days. He was charged um, in May for theft trespassing, criminal trespassing, assault, disorderly conduct. He was charged with use of a deadly weapon on January 11th of that year. The man never served time. And he was known to be mentally ill, too, um, to all of law enforcement. 72 arrests I found, 72 charges for the arrests that I found. And, And there were probably, there were definitely more if you look in the previous six years that I couldn't find. So now they're suing because he should have been locked up. Now, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to sue. It's, it's very easy for illegals and criminals to sue. Victims have a very hard time proving that they directly caused this. And, you know, that is legitimate in a vacuum. It's not legitimate the fact that um, the criminals get to sue. But the broader point here is that who is standing for people like Jamie and Melody Melania Richardson. Who's standing for these people? 
Who's their voice? Now, here's the kicker. You might think, all right, fine. So now finally he beat people this badly. Okay, now they look at his massive rap sheet. Anyone, even the most jailbreak pro-criminal liberal would admit, yeah, between the rap sheet, what he ultimately did in 2016, um, and the mental illness, there's no way you could let this guy out. This guy must be locked up. Guess what? Do you know he was sentenced to eight years, but he will only wind up serving, unless something changes, 4.5 years. So I looked up the Washington State Penitentiary uh, booking there. He was booked in on April 25th, 2017. That's when he was sentenced. And he's going to be out October 23rd, October 23rd of 2021, a little bit over two years from now. This man will be out. This man will be out. You look at these people. They did a three-minute interview with them at KIRO. Um, good for them for at least doing that interview. Looks like a lovely couple, probably around 60, 65 years old. Of no fault of their own, just getting beaten that way. And this guy's going to be out even after all this. This is the dirty little secret, okay? And this is old data. This is as of 2016. And the velocity over the last three years has only gotten much worse. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, okay, the average person in state prison serving time for a violent offense, and that's not including drugs, it's non-drugs, assault, robbery, rape, things like that. You put it all together, they serve an average of less than three years in prison in the state system. The report found that 96%, 96% of all violent offenders put together, released in 2016, including 70% of those sentenced for murder, 70% served less than 20 years before the initial release from state prison. Okay, state prisoners serving time for property, drug, or public order offenses served less than two years before initial release. Less than two years for drugs. And by the way, those are among the pool of people that serve time. The average sentence is less than two years. But most drug offenders, especially now, probation. First-time offender for sure. This whole notion, low-level, nonviolent, first-time offenders, oh, they just lock a lot, get locked up for it. It's just not true. Endless career violent criminals barely serve time. Everyone knows that. And it's getting worse. And the momentum is all on their side to say it's, all, it's too much. It's kind of like the drug crisis. It's the same thing. The two tied together in many ways. They're 10 years too late. They come 10 years after incarceration has already moved the other way. And they're like, this is too much. We need to let people out. Well, what do you mean? We're already letting them out. Same thing. Oh my gosh, there's too many prescription drugs. We need to clamp down on prescriptions. Uh, dude, the prescriptions have already been clamped down upon and have plummeted for 10 years and before the massive spike in drug overdose deaths because it had nothing to do with prescriptions. It was all fentanyl peddled by Obama's open border policies and the cartels and the sanctuary cities. So we're always 10 years late. 
So they're still acting as if we're just locking everyone up forever. And the opposite is true. And nobody is pointing this out. It's un I mean, you look at murder here. Let, let, let me let me pull this up for a minute. Bureau of Justice Statistics, just to go through this. You look even at murder here. OK. Let's see what we have here. The average. So it goes through the average. Uh, prison sentences. OK. Average pr prison sentences for murder. Or no, average time served. The median, this is the median time served. So if you did a math equation, took all the people who were released from state prison in 2016 and they studied them. And they do this every year, BJS. This was 2016. It's the most recent year I could find. Maybe they have 2017. I'm not sure, but certainly not af after that. And they found this is murder one. This is not neg negligent manslaughter. This is murder one. The median sentence was 13, the median time served, not sentence, time served, 13.4 years. And certainly there's plenty who serve less. I mean, they found that, um, let me just add this up. Let me just add this up here. I'm, I'm trying to do the math. This is, what is this, 60? Um, a I, I can't figure out the numbers here yet, but a massive percentage serves less than 10 years, even less than five years. That's murder one. Negligent manslaughter, median sentence, four years. Rape and sexual assault, median sentence, 4.2 years. Robbery, median sentence, 3.2. Assault. And let me tell you something. Assault. The reason we have a government is to protect our liberties. There's no greater infringement of liberty than a person can't walk down the street without getting attacked. That is why we have government. Not to regulate pain medication. Not to regulate agriculture. Not to regulate ethanol. Mandate ethanol. Not to redistribute wealth. This is why we have government. Assault, median sentence, and state prison, 1.4 years. 1.4 years. Burglary, 17 months. Larceny, theft, 11 months. Other violent crimes, 1.6. That includes aggravated assault. Some other things. Drug trafficking, drug trafficking, 17 months is the average sentence in state prison. And it's getting less and less. And again, this is just among the pool of people who served prison time. So many only serve probation. So many get off scot-free. And these people think we're locking up people for too long. And then, like we said, to the extent you could find long sentences for drug trafficking in the federal system, it's because the feds then take a look at some of these people and they're like, dude, these guys are committing murder, robbery, like we're talking about, and they're getting out and they barely serve time. So the feds scoop them up and they hit them on drug charges. But really, it's, it's, it's much more than that. And yes, drugs are killing a lot of people. This ain't your grandfather's drug crisis. 
but nobody is speaking out for people like the Richardsons. It's all one-sided. All the narrative. Could you imagine, let's just talk politics for a minute. Could you imagine what suburban vote, v- voters would, would look like if we had a Republican party or another party talking like this, advocating this, debating these points, and pushing legislation, accentuating this point and and, and this agenda. You know, last September, the Foundation for Safeguarding Justice published a very comprehensive survey with straightforward questions. They weren't leading questions, and it was all about drugs. They didn't ask, do you think we should have violent criminals repeat offenders barely serve time? Yeah, that would be like 100 to zero. But this is even just for drugs. Question. This is, I'm reading the question verbatim. When thinking about how the federal government deals with convicted defendants, would you support or oppose a proposal to reduce penalties for traffickers in heroin, heroin, fentanyl, and, and similar drugs? Very fair question. It's not leading. It's not like, oh, and these guys are working for the cartels and they're committing other crimes too, but it's just we catch them on that and they plead down and, you know, no. Just straight up, just about the drugs. Support reducing penalties for these people. That is exactly what the First Step Act just did. 74% opposed, including 73% of independents, 70% of Democrats, 71% of African Americans, and even 63% of millennials. Next question. In general, do you think that the federal government is too tough, not tough enough, or about right in its handling of drug trafficking? Very straightforward. Results, 51% said not tough enough. 25% said just right. Just 14% said too tough. Just 15% of African Americans believe we're too tough on drug traffickers because you know they're all saying, oh, we need to do it for the black vote where we're hurting blacks by locking them up too much. No, you're hurting blacks by allowing the cocaine trafficking to continue, which kills them. And women voters were more likely to think we are not tough enough than men. Republicans are always clamoring to get the women vote, right? Republicans are dumb as mud. Dumb as mud. This issue is the ace in the hole. Imagine if Republicans came back with the agenda we have established the last three weeks on public safety, crime, drugs, violent crime, sentencing, sanctuary cities, the border, and right to carry and defend yourself from the criminals let out by the Democrats, imagine if that was their agenda to jujitsu and combat the coming gun control agenda. No, instead they're going to join in with it. Legitimize the Democrat points. That, folks, is where we are with the crime agenda. So let's go on here. There's more cases I have to get to. I don't know if I'm going I'm to have time even, either today or who knows when this week to get to all these cases because I could, I could have a show just talking about these type of cases and do nothing else, which, while it's important, we certainly don't want to do that. But let's, let's try to go through a couple more. This is from yesterday out of Twin Cities Pioneer Press. Man accused of murder in Minneapolis assault or wait, where is this? Man accused of murder in Minneapolis assaulted Metro Transit worker 
in St. Paul days before, charges say. Days before he stabbed a man to death in downtown Minneapolis, Abdirahman Osman Yusuf, almost certainly a Somali, charged at a Metro Transit worker with a cane as she was waiting at a light rail platform in St. Paul authorities say. Surveillance footage shows the 25-year-old pull the cane from his pants before gripping it with both hands and swinging it as if he was hitting a baseball at the woman's head, according to charges filed Tuesday in in Ramsey County District Court. After striking her in the head, Yusuf wound up and took a second violent swing at her, the criminal complaint said. The woman told police that the attack, which took place on August 7th, came out of nowhere as she was minding her own business on the Green Line rail platform. Okay, so that was August 7th, um, just just before uh, the murder, a couple days before. So um, neither she nor another woman who witnessed the incident could identify uh, Yusuf as a assailant, but officers who watched the video footage of it said it, it depicted Yusuf as the attacker, attacker. The Ramsey County Attorney's Office charged him with via warrant with two counts of second-degree assault with a dangerous weapon. The charge comes days after the Hennepin County Attorney's Office charged the Minneapolis man with second-degree murder in a separate incident. In that case, on August 12th, Yusuf and three other males were hanging out near West River Parkway near 3rd Avenue in downtown Minneapolis when Yusuf became aggressive and started stabbing one of them. Um, And basically, he killed the guy. So the question is, why was he out? Now, I don't have his criminal record. I didn't have time to look into this. But I'm just telling you, do something. Everyone wants to do something about murder. Shootings. Well, here we have stabbings, hitting with a cane, the other case hitting with a baseball bat. Again, it's not the object. It's the criminal. And most of them, we had other opportunities to apprehend them before someone died. And then, of course, is the other issue, which is that Somali community, which, my gosh, talk about social transformation without representation that we uh, talked about last week. Imagine if the people of Minnesota in 1992 were able to hold a referendum. For the next 30 years, are we going to bring in 50,000 whatever Somalis? How many people do you think would have voted for that? But of course, it's done against our will um, because we have no say in the future of our country. We don't matter. Another case, Oklahoma woman. This is from the New York Post. Um, This was yesterday. Oklahoma woman who forced kids to eat dog feces avoids jail time. So this was her own kids. It's a weird, insane case. But again, notice people don't serve time. An Oklahoma woman who allegedly forced her two young children to eat dog feces won't be thrown in the slammer right away but she has been ordered to stay away from her kids. Mary Elizabeth Moore, 34, of the city of Miami, was charged in Delaware County District Court with two counts of child neglect involving her two children, age five and three. She pled no contest, receiving a seven-year suspended sentence and was told not to have any contact with the children um, unless it was within the guidelines of her guardianship case. Um, The five-year-old child went to graphic detail to the investigators about eating the dog dung. The kid had a sickening diet, had pinworms. 
The, the older child weighed only 26 pounds when Moore was taken into custody. The three-year-old was a frail 18 pounds. Um, yeah. Her boyfriend allegedly took part in the abuse as well, sometimes throwing bottles at the younger child. And of course, he will not serve any time. Criminal justice reform, baby. Let me read you one other case here one other case this is from monday um ksby in california arrest made in north um san luis obispo county homicide investigation they charged fausto ortega maldonado with murder for stabbing death of primitivio Pache Ortega. Now, I don't know what the victim's status is, but clearly he is Hispanic. So again, once again, the most common victims of criminal aliens are going to be other Hispanics, whether they're illegal, legal, citizen, whatever. Um, he was scheduled to be arraigned on Tuesday. I didn't follow up on the court records on that, but, but pretty much most of the time they cover up the immigration status, but here it says it all. They have it all here. And the reporter did her homework. He suffered multiple stab wounds. And I want you guys to look at this. Maldonado was reportedly already in custody at San Luis Obispo County Jail this past Friday when deputies arrested him for the additional charge of murder. They arrested him in custody. He was already there. He had been in custody since July 18th for a probation violation. Now, he was already a suspect in the Ortega killing, which was just um, just a week or two before that. But here's the kicker. The sheriff says Maldonado is a felon who was previously convicted, previously convicted of domestic violence. He's also reportedly in the country illegally, has been deported previously, and is currently wanted by ICE. The fact that we could have previously deported illegals in this country cycling in the justice system, oh, you're arrested, not just arrested, but convicted on domestic violence and ICE never knowing about it. Where is the national discussion? Now a Hispanic, and again, I only do that tongue-in-cheek. It doesn't matter who you are, but they're saying that immigration enforcement is white supremacist we have another Hispanic dead because of sanctuaries, because of California's a sanctuary, and our federal government is too incompetent to stop this. Avoidable crimes. And that guy had a lengthy rap sheet, didn't really get a chance to go through all of that. I want to come full circle just in the remaining minutes we have here, just to close, on what I'm writing about today with the latest state of affairs with the border crisis. As you well know, the border numbers have been plummeting thanks to the administration a year and a half late, but finally implementing all of my suggestions, most of my suggestions, except for a categorical shutoff, which they should have done at the border. You tell the illegal immigrants they can't come, they don't come. I have new data that since I reported this nine days ago, the Texas border numbers are down in the third week of August, ending August 21st. So it's pretty new data is down. 
another 19%. So in total, it's down about 62% off the peak in May. The numbers were around 20,000. Here, we'll put up on the screen here um, a, uh, a chart of that I made of the data. I can't publish the actual, you know, Texas DPS chart, but this is Texas data. It's down 62% since the peak in May. Um, particularly what's interesting is Guatemalan apprehensions are down 74% more than anything else. Because again, we're sending plane loads back. We have the safe third country agreement that we forged with them. Lots of press in Guatemala. The message goes out. You can't come. They don't come. It's that simple. If we would have the message on the interior that if you come here, you will be detected. You can't get birthright citizenship. You can't get um, education, healthcare, welfare, yada, yada, a job. They won't come. It's the, it's the most redressable public policy issue ima imaginable. That's lesson number one. But there's an important question. That's the good news. There's an important question that's not being talked about. Those of you who are critical thinkers should be asking yourselves, well, if we're at the point where numbers are down 60 70% in some areas, shouldn't we then have 60 70% more agents freed up to patrol the line against the previously deported child molesters, which there's thousands of them, drug traffickers, gang members, you know, the cartels. Shouldn't we have that, right? So I called up one of my agent friends and I said, hey, is morale a little bit better now? And he said, no. Yes, the family units have plummeted a lot, but we don't have a single additional agent on the line than we did during the peak crisis weeks. Why? So you might not realize this, but evidently the processing centers are empty. They don't have illegals there. They're all in the tents that they erected the new facilities. Now, those facilities were new and we were calling for them as an overflow. But now that you don't have crisis levels, they could fit them in the original processing centers, yet they're using the new facilities as the place of first resort. So they're not having them in the main stations and they're putting them there. So it takes agents to transport and man them. The theory that I'm hearing is that, again, DHS is not worried about the mission of Border Patrol protecting our national security. They're worried about their image with the media. So, you know, the stations had so much bad rap, they only want to keep them in these new areas. And because of that, the agents are still drawn off. And because of that, there's still roughly 10 to 12 agents at any given time per 60 miles in the Rio Grande Valley. And because of that, drugs are pouring over beyond belief. Remember, if you're the Gulf Cartel, which in particular, the Gulf Cartel made a lot of money from human smuggling, those numbers are now down 60, 70%. They're going to make that up with drugs. Coming full circle from the beginning of this program, where government is now focused on clamping down on pain patients, driving up the price of pharma pharmaceuticals, and then taking off border agents to do humanitarian work while they just get in the drugs. But again, it's not just drugs. Who comes in? ICE has deported roughly 1.8 million criminal aliens with criminal arrests or convictions over the last decade. So many of them are the worst human beings, gang members. As we talk about this, epidemic of Central American, Mexican, child sex offenders, murderers, you name it. Just, just this week from the Rio Grande Valley. 
On Saturday morning, McAllen agents working near Pinitas, Texas, arrested a a uh, Guatemalan national after he entered the United States illegally. During processing, record checks revealed a prior arrest in California. The L.A. Sheriff's Department charged the man for lewd and lascivious acts with a child under 14 years of age. The man received a sentence of one-year confinement and three years probation, and he was deported. By the way, as an aside, you see, again, child sex offenders barely serve any time. Um, On Sunday afternoon, Texas Parks and Wildlife officers contacted the Fort Brown Border Patrol Station and requested an agent to help identify a man they encountered. Um, Basically, they found him to be a Mexican national legally present in the United States. And when they did record checks, they found the man had two prior arrests, two prior arrests in the state of Michigan for criminal sex conduct in the second degree. In both cases, the judge sentenced the man to one year confinement. Again, I'm focusing more on illegal immigration, but you see the general criminal justice reform. Nobody serves any time. Um, This was just yesterday. Calexico, California, Border Patrol agents assigned to the El, uh, El Centro sector arrested a Serrano gang member. These guys are violent as hell. Um, at approximately 2.40 p.m., Border Patrol agents were on patrol when they observed a man illegally enter the United States about 12 miles east of Calexico Port of Entry. Um, they found that he had been previously charged and convicted for shooting at an inhabited dwelling. The man received a 10-year prison sentence in California for his crimes. He was also a notorious Serrano's gang member. Additionally, agents determined that he was previously removed from the United States in 2014. This is in Tucson yesterday. Um, Border Patrol agents arrested a previously deported sex offender Monday. Um, They apprehended the Honduran national Monday afternoon. Records revealed 30-year-old Elvin Javier Maldonado Gomez had been convicted in Gwinnett County, Georgia for statutory rape in 2013. He served five years in jail before being deported. Um, Yeah. Do the math, friends. 10, 12 agents per 60 miles. And we know the cartels cross them strategically in a way to distract the agents so they don't get caught. Remember, if the apprehension rate of previously convicted criminals who absolutely don't want to meet an agent would be 90%, the cartels wouldn't have a market for this. Money talks, you know. Clearly, these are the minority of people they do catch. These are the type of people the type of fish in that pond from based on the few we catch that you know are there and getting into this country as a result of our agents being treated as um, babysitters, as a result of not using the military to clear out the smugglers and cartels on both sides of the border, not holding the line. And again, this is where the fentanyl and meth is pouring in to our country. That is the front line, not Johnson and Johnson, not the doctors, not the pain patients. You're harming them to protect criminal justice reform and open borders. Because in this country, until and unless our voices are heard, law-abiding Americans, victims of crime, victims of illegal aliens, pain patients who don't ask for a handout but just don't want to be regulated off their medication in order to protect illicit drug traffickers. They mean nothing to our government. They mean nothing to our media. They need they mean nothing to Jared and Ivanka and, and Kim Kardashian's rear end. 
Again, Michelle Malkin is holding several rallies to support ICE, stand with ICE hashtag um, across the country. Um, we will put that up in show notes. Make sure you attend, show a strong voice of support, send Michelle my regards. I will try to attend um, one that is closer to my, my part of the country. Michelle will be on the program soon. We will start to have a lot of exciting guests, so it's not just me talking here. Um, send me your comments, feedback, questions, concerns at dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Follow us at RM Conservative on Twitter and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Conservative Review. Thank you and God bless you all.